Andy and Jennifer Day remember the moment they went from being mere observers of the Haiti crisis to deciding they wanted to take their medical skills to Haiti. We both sat and watched a telethon with, uh, it was Justin Timberlake. Yeah, and didn't George Clooney, wasn't he featured? Wasn't he he the one who... Well, and it showed this panel of all these big celebrities. (laughs) But what really caught the couple's attention were the pictures of the kids, bandaged and bleeding, missing limbs. Andy and Jennifer live in Indiana. She's a registered nurse. He's an anesthesiologist. After that telethon, Andy mentioned to some colleagues that he and his wife were interested in volunteering in Haiti. A few weeks later, his phone rang. It was a local surgeon who was headed to Haiti. He said, hey, you had mentioned being interested in this. Are you still interested? And I said, sure. What are you thinking of? And he told me about it. He said, but if you're going to do it, we have to be on a plane next week. And before they knew it, Andy and Jennifer landed in Port-au-Prince. Jennifer says she had second thoughts almost immediately. I really just wanted to stay at the airport and and hide. And it was just elbow to elbow and just complete chaos. Jennifer and Andy had never worked outside a U.S. hospital before. That makes them pretty typical among the medical volunteers who went to Haiti. Richard Goslin of UC Berkeley's School of Public Health is an orthopedic surgeon and veteran of humanitarian medicine. He worked in Haiti after the earthquake. Later, Goslin co-authored a study that found almost two-thirds of the surgeons who volunteered in Haiti had no prior disaster experience. Goslin says he could spot the amateurs right away. They didn't bring much with them. They didn't bring any supplies. They didn't bring water. They didn't bring food. They thought that shelter would be provided, that you know, all they had to do was show up and say, I'm a doctor, where can I do surgery? And you know, it doesn't work like that. Many doctors also didn't bring medicine. Stephanie Caden is a doctor at Harvard and directs the International Emergency Medicine Fellowship at Boston's Brigham and Women's Hospital. She says even in a disaster area, surgeons are responsible for making sure that anesthesia will be provided during their surgeries. But Caden says many surgeons lack training in international emergency medicine and didn't think to bring anesthesia with them. She says that had serious consequences in Haiti. Surgeries were either delayed because the surgeons didn't want to operate without the anesthesia, or people had to undergo amputations and other surgeries without anesthesia, which was... uh, Even doctors who tried their best to provide good pain management encountered difficulties. Andy Day, the anesthesiologist from Indiana, accompanied a surgeon to Haiti in the hopes that none of their patients would have to endure surgery without anesthesia. Before he left the U.S., he checked and was told there was a drug supply awaiting him. But once surgery got underway, Andy encountered problems with the drug supply he'd inherited. He found out the hard way, and too late, that sometimes the medicines he was using weren't making the patients fully numb. My suspicion is we had these medicines that had been sitting in 100 plus degree heat in this uncirculated, unventilated, unair conditioned facility. And I suspect some of those medicines were either rendered ineffective while in storage down there or maybe were expired old stock from other places that had been donated and were long since ineffective. Experts who studied the medical response in Haiti point to other serious problems that stemmed from disorganization or basic lack of experience among volunteers. They say of the thousands of amputations performed in Haiti, many may have been avoidable. And the medical procedures used to save injured limbs were often inappropriate, too. One of those procedures is known as external fixation. Instead of a cast, surgeons place a metal rod along a patient's limb. Doctors then stabilize the rod by screwing pins into the patient's bone. 
Fixators work well in Western hospitals. They're also used in war zones where troops are whisked off from the front lines to sterile environments where they can recuperate. Fixators didn't work so well in Haiti, according to Harvard's Stephanie Caden. External fixators usually have to stay in the skin, screwed into the bone underneath the skin for uh, three months. And during that three months or so, you have to keep the external fixator from becoming infected. And in a situation like Haiti, where people are living in tents or sometimes out in the open air, it's a very difficult thing to keep them from being infected. And I would say in Haiti, it created a big problem for a lot of people. Caden and others say simpler, less invasive techniques to treat broken bones would have been a better option in Haiti. Of course, any criticisms of the way medical professionals handled themselves in Haiti should recognize this was a disaster of enormous scale. If doctors and nurses hadn't been there, many Haitians might have died for lack of any care at all. And many did die because they received no medical treatment whatsoever. The question is, how much good did volunteers do in the end? And how much harm did they cause? Sweden's highly regarded Karolinska Institute recently published a study that tried to answer that question. The Institute sent questionnaires to some 274 entities that worked in Haiti after the earthquake to get details on the type and quality of care provided. But of those 274 questionnaires sent out, just four were returned. The authors said their inability to determine the outcome of medical activities in Haiti, quote, raises serious accountability questions. One reason for that lack of accountability, many organizations providing care in Haiti weren't really organizations at all. Andy and Jennifer Day traveled from Indiana to Haiti with just one orthopedic surgeon and his physician's assistant. I asked Andy the name of the organization they traveled with. There wasn't a name. It was a a, a friend of a friend. Those who've studied the response in Haiti are urging some changes before the next major disaster strikes. For one, many are calling for some kind of registration process for medical volunteers, which would be a step toward accrediting teams that deploy to crisis zones. Second, they say organizations should do a better job of tracking the outcomes of their efforts and sharing what worked and what didn't. And third, they say doctors and nurses should get training in international emergency medicine before volunteering in a disaster. As for Andy and Jennifer Day, they too would do things differently next time. They say they wouldn't jump on a plane and rush to a crisis zone. That's not the way I want to spend my life making the world a better place. That sounds kind of harsh. <laughs> Chime in whenever would you are, want. Would our money, you know, sending money, would that have done more good for more people? Jennifer and Andy haven't ruled out volunteering again, but next time they say they'll join up with a seasoned organization that really knows the local environment and how to practice medicine in the chaos of a disaster. For The World, I'm Amy Costello.